tonight uh, after church. Have Ben, have you already made any announcement about after church tonight? Ben's not here. Uh, if you are a college student and you have just been coming recently and uh, you've never been to my house for a meal, or even if you have been to the house for my, uh, a meal, uh, we, uh, we have J.J. Where's Brenda? What kind, Brewster's Barbecue downstairs for you. But the most wonderful thing about it is you're going to get to eat with Tom and Susan Vogel. So uh, I, just to make sure I've got enough food. Have we got enough food, Ben? Well, raise your hand if you're, if you're, if you're going to be eating with us. Raise it. Come on. There's got to be more than that. Thank you. I was I was worried. Six. Any more over here? Seven. Don't give up. Okay, you get to eat with Kent and Melissa too. How many more would like to? Nine. The young lady in the blue. <laughs> I think we're good. I think we're good. All right. Uh, but um, it's really good barbecue. And um, let's see. I don't guess there's anything else. We're okay, right? I just wanted to check and make sure. A lot of people get confused about this particular church for various and sundry reasons. Uh, one of which is our teaching on uh, Saturday night. Most people do it on Sunday morning. That's confusing enough. Um, but our teaching is not geared for the unbeliever to get them saved. Um, we have what we call home groups. And we use those home groups as the place that we first touch people. We invite them into our home. And sharing the gospel is something that's uh, sort of uh, natural and it flows out of our life. And so we don't set uh, a meeting aside each week to just share the gospel. And so basically what we do in this, in this evening meeting is we try to discern where God is taking us as a church and come to the Word and equip ourselves to be and do what God wants to do through our lives. And so I all, almost always begin teaching uh, and, whoa, hey, there's a bunch of people up there. Uh, I always begin teaching that way. Um, and uh, so uh, something we've not been able to do over the years is to just really preach from the whole Bible all at once because people don't know the story. So a big part of the reason that we're going through the whole Bible is so that in the following years we will be able to preach uh, throwing examples without explaining every single example. Does that make sense? So we're going through the book, and here we come to uh, the book of Joshua, and all of the children of Israel are camped on the wrong side of Jordan, and they're going to have to cross this river. Now, most, most of these people would not remember it, but some of the older uh, Israelites would remember over 40 years previously, they had come to a body of water and they were wanting to get across because who was behind them? The Egyptians were behind them. So they come to this body of water, the land of slavery is behind them, and an army that wants to kill them is behind them. But now they've come to this land and on the other side of this body of water is... The promised land. Before, they needed to leave a land of slavery. Now they need to get into a land of promise. And this body of water is what 
Oh, by the way, not only is the land of promise there, but an enemy that wants to kill them is there. The difference is they leave that land and run from that enemy. They come into this land and they take it away from an enemy. But both times they come to this body of water which represents an impossibility. And only God dividing the waters can cause them to come to the other side. One, the other side of escape. The other, the other side of possession. Does that make sense? Right. So it's really two different aspects of Christianity. One aspect is the aspect of being delivered from the power of bondage and the result of sin. The other is being delivered into the inheritance that God has for himself through you. One, God defeats the enemy for you. The second one, God strengthens you to destroy the enemy because he wants you to co-reign with his son Christ. Does that make sense? So both of those things uh, are, are working in our lives. But in this part, in the book of Joshua, we are more interested in these, these principles as they apply to taking the land. And so originally I was going to try to do, get all the way through the Battle of Jericho tonight, uh, but I gave up. Uh, we're going to get up to the battle tonight. Um, and uh, there's just too many principles that I think are important. Usually when I teach the book of Joshua, it's 15 uh, to 18 teachings up to chapter 7. And I'm trying to do it in three. But I did want to drop back into chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5 and pull out what I think are some very important principles for all of us. Now, we are a people that God has called to plant churches in this city. Uh, we've planted three. We're getting ready to plant a fourth. But it's not going to end there. For the rest of your lives you are going to be building teams and planting churches in this city. That's not going to happen by marketing. That's not going to happen by branding. It's going to happen by people understanding the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and living it. And so these principles that I'm sharing in the book of Joshua are extremely important. If you weren't here last week, you need to go and listen to last week's teaching. If that teaching is not part of your life, you cannot be on the team. You just can't do it. If you're a coward, you can't do it. If you can't set your face like a flint and allow God to crucify you and resurrect you on the other side, you can't work with this team because that's what we do. So, these people had come to the water once before. Now they've come to the water and they need to get to the other side again. And so the first thing, if you'll go to chapter 2, that Joshua does, they're getting ready to go across, and Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. At the end of this chapter, verse 23, Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given 
all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Now, not only is this the second body of water that they've come to, but it's the second time they've come to this body of water. And you're going to see some real parallels between the first time that they came and the second time they came. Remember what happened the first time when they came? They sent spies over. Remember that? Here, Joshua sends spies over. The difference is, before the spies went over, and they came back and they said, Oh my goodness. This time they came back and said, Oh my goodness. You see the difference? You have to pay close attention to see the nuanced differences. All right? So, when they went before, they came back and they brought all the fruit and all the proof that this was the land. And everybody was like, wow. But then, 40 years earlier, they described the situation, but we saw the people of the land and they were giants. And we were like grasshoppers in their sight. That was the report they came back with before. Here, look at the report. Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The first time, oh my goodness, we're like grasshoppers, they'll step on us. The second time, they come back and they say, hey, they're the ones that are shaken. Their hearts are melting in them. And what's the difference? What's the difference? The second time, they went in and they had eyes of faith. The first time, they went in and they saw what they could not do. This time, they went in and they realized that God was doing something. That the works of God... The reason they were trembling is because those people had seen what God had done. They weren't afraid of those people. They weren't afraid of the Israelites. They had heard what God did the last time they came through the water. And they're like, oh my goodness, these, these people who come through the water have now reached our shores and we're in trouble. Okay? So, so that's kind of a nice story. And I could go on to chapter 3 except for one thing. I just could not skip Rahab. That is the first verse and the last verse of the chapter that tells the whole story of Rahab. So we've got to talk about her tonight, right? We, we can't skip her. So I want to point out a few things. How many of you know the story of Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, the lady who's sold her body for money to men? You know that story? Nice little Bible story. Well, first of all, she is a kind of first fruits. Remember when... when when God spoke to Abraham, he said, you will be a blessing to all of the world. This is a very interesting Gentile who becomes a Christian. One of the first things that happens when they enter into the land is they get a taste of what they're really supposed to be, bringing salvation to the nations. And so they touch this woman, and in the end, everybody knows in our terms, she becomes a believer in God Almighty. She's kind of a first fruit to the promise that God made to Abraham. I will bless you and make you a blessing to the whole earth. She wasn't 
saved because of her righteousness. Can I get an amen? Can I get an oh my? Why was she saved? She was saved because she believed in God. She was saved because she believed in God. And there's so many places we could go with this as far as our team and what we're trying to accomplish in this city. But uh, the, the, probably the most important thing is for us to understand we left Egypt following Moses, Jesus, and God destroyed the enemy on our behalf. And this lady realized that God was going to go to work on her behalf. Verse 11, For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And listen to what she says in verse 11. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Your God is God of the heavens and God of the earth. Now, most people believe that in Jericho, uh, they worshipped... Um, uh, well, all, all of the, the, the Baal gods... Uh, all of the Canaanite gods were worshipped there. She probably worshipped those gods. But when she heard what God had done rolling the river back, she said, I know that your God is God not only of the heavens, but also of all the earth. And she put her faith in the God of Israel. And that's why she was delivered. Not because... Not because she all of a sudden got good enough overnight, but because she believed that God was God of the whole earth. And it's real interesting. It's after this that the Bible begins to refer to God as the Lord of all the earth. The Lord of all the earth. And so the spies, they saw through the eyes of faith. But which eyes did they see through? They saw through the eyes of Rahab. She is the one who gave them this report. She is the one who realized everybody's heart is melting. And so when she spoke those words to the spies, they believed based on her faith, her understanding of what God was doing. In Hebrews chapter 11, listen, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This lady was delivered because she believed the, the God of these two men was the God of the whole universe. And she spoke faith into their life, and they went back, and they spoke to Israel. First of all, I said, Rahab assures us that we stand before God because of what he has done. But here's the second thing, team. You've got to understand this. We're not looking for good people. 
you middle-class suburbanites who keep trying to get your neighbors saved for 30 years and you can't do it, I'm going to encourage you to try to do something. Get out with some people who are looking for God. God is moving in the hearts of people and they are seeing the works of God in the earth. And they are waiting for somebody to walk up and be the people of God so she can tell you, hey, your God is God and I need to be saved. I promise you, if you will get out of your circles of security and you will get out among the people that are spread out across this city that are in great need, you will find where God is moving. This is a work that God was doing. Now, our proof that God was working or, or worked, you know, through this is Matthew. Everybody knows Matthew in the first chapter. Let me read these verses to you. He's very careful to point out that Rahab was actually an ancestor of Jesus. Listen to this. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, that's one, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. So you've got two women who birthed a child in an incestuous relationship. You've got a lady who was a harlot in Jericho, and you've got a woman who slept with a king and had a baby and kept her mouth shut when her husband was murdered to hide it. As the ancestors of Jesus. These are the only four women other than Mary that are in the, the genealogy, and they were all messed up. And this is an indication to us that God wants to establish the idea that he did not come to seek and save those who don't need to be sought and saved. But he came to seek the lost. He came to seek the needy. And I think something that we need to understand as God has given us this land to take, is that we need to go out, spy the land, make sure it's where God wants us to be, and we need to look around, and we need to start running into people that we don't think can be saved. We seem to think the guys in the suits and the moms in the minivans are the people that can probably really be Christians. Yeah? Or the college student. But the high school dropout, the drug addict, the woman on the corner, uh, they probably don't want to follow Jesus. Listen, there is a God who is interested in the dispossessed, the disillusioned, the desperate people of the world. And the first thing that happens when they come into the kingdom is this. 
Faith is spoken to them by a woman of the street. Now, if you think that's not a New Testament principle, think about Jesus when he got to the well. He runs into a woman who's been married to five guys and is now with the sixth. The disciples go into that city, and while they're there in that city, all they get is bread and what they need to eat. While Jesus is out there leading this woman to faith. Now, this woman goes back to the city, and what does she do? She preaches the gospel to these very men that Jesus, Jesus' disciples, had visited for bread, and they call all come out to hear Jesus preach. Folks, one of the principles in taking the kingdom of God is this. God is interested in people that you think he would not be interested in. God is working in hearts, and he wants to surprise you. But that can only happen if you're out there seeking to see where the land is. Yeah? God's got a land for you. Don't settle for this side of the river. You've got to seek out, and you've got to find the place that's your promise. Okay? All right, let's keep going. You know, all of this, and one of the reasons I wanted to come through this part is because all of it points to Jesus. You know, Luke chapter 24 tells us that the whole Old Testament, every part of it, is just full of Christ, and you can preach Christ from every place. So the way Rahab, act, the way it actually happens, she has this red cord, a scarlet cord, that she lets down out of the out of the window, and the spies leave, and the spies say, you leave this scarlet cord in the window, and when the army comes in to destroy the land, they will pass by your house. So again, what does that remind you of that we've seen earlier? The Passover. They put the blood over the doorpost, over the lintel, and said, when I see this, I will pass over you. Here, they will pass by that house, and everyone in that house, like everyone that were in the houses before, even if it was neighbors, would be saved. Well, of course, this looks forward to Christ, and it's his blood sprinkled that God takes as his indication to pass over us with death and to let us live. Yeah? So all the way through, I, I could go ahead and say this. The word Joshua translated into Greek is Jesus, and it means Jehovah saves. So there's probably no type in the Old Testament that's any more like Jesus than Joshua. And as you read through and you see Joshua and the various things that happen in this book, it is going to build in you principles that when, when you come to the New Testament and it's quickened, by the Holy Spirit, those principles will come alive in you in the New Testament. Does that make sense? Okay, well, let's keep going. Um, well, let's go on down to the river. Chapter 3. So for 40 years, what is it that gets them to the other side? How is it that the river parts and they get to the other side? Does everybody, does everybody know? 
So for 40 years, they've walked through the wilderness. And how have they gotten through the wilderness? What's guided them in the wilderness? Huh? Uh-huh. And what did it hover over? The Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant, they followed all the way through the wilderness, the presence of God. Okay? And so God speaks to Joshua, and he says, all right, here's how we're going to get across this river. The, the priests are going to go down to the river, and when they place their foot in the river, the river will stop. And sure enough, that's what they do. But the point is, God says, you have got to stay back a couple of thousand cubits, and you've got to watch, and when this thing goes through, that's your cue. And so it is the Ark of the Covenant that rolls back the river that keeps you from inheriting the land. So what's the Ark of the Covenant? What do we know about the Ark of the Covenant? Well, first of all, it's got the law in it, it's got the manna in it, and it's got the priesthood, the rod of Aaron that budded in there. So the effective priesthood, the word of God, and the manna which came down represent in the New Testament over and over and over the ministry of Jesus. Jesus as the word made flesh. Jesus as our priest. Jesus as the manna that came down. Over and over and over in the New Testament, we see Jesus as those three things. So for them, in type, in the Old Testament, they were learning to follow Jesus. And when Jesus went out in the middle of the river, they were supposed to follow. So for us, if we are going to be a people that take this city, if we're going to be a people who inherit, we have got to learn to follow Jesus. We have got to be able to know the difference between our own desires and Jesus himself and his purposes for our life. That's pretty simple. But one of the ways that we do that, and we've talked about it, is that we see what God has already done in our life, and we remember what God has done. By remembering what God has done, we learn to follow Jesus. Yeah? So, when things go bad, and God corrects us, we learn. When things go well, we learn. Hebrews chapter 5, it says, By reason of use... By stopping and really looking at your life and seeing, was that successful or was that a failure? Did that accomplish the purposes of God or am I still stuck? And you remember and you learn, then you move ahead. And so when they go through this river, Joshua tells them, take 12 stones and on the other side, build a mound or a column of these 12 stones. And God is so smart. He said, if you'll put that column of stones there, I'm going to promise you, your kids will ask you why it's there. And when they do, you remember what I did this day. 
you remember that I brought you through on dry ground. When you heard the true report, and when you followed Jesus, I brought you through on dry ground. And it's in that way that you learn to follow Jesus. We are made overcomers by the word of our testimony, the blood of the Lamb, and we love not our lives unto death. We are made overcomers by our testimony. There are a lot of people who do not have one single testimony of success in their life where they can look back and say, I'll tell you what, the waters of society and the waters of popular opinion were rolling down the river, but I saw my inheritance on the other side. I knew it was God, and I followed Jesus to the other side, and hallelujah, I took the land. Simply because they weren't really looking for their inheritance. They were looking for something that Egypt had promised them. Or they may have saw something, but they didn't believe God could do it for them. Folks, I'm telling you, you have got to begin to build remembrances of God working in your life. And if you don't have a testimony, you're not going to be able to overcome the enemy in your life. This is serious business. God said, build a tower, build a column with 12 stones, and teach your kids that God did something here. How many of you have a testimony in your heart that God did something here? Or did you just join a religion where there's a lot of nice people and you really enjoy it? There's a God in heaven that's searching and seeking and working in the earth, and he's active. But we've got to learn to follow Jesus. And we can only do that if we set our hearts on the word if we set our hearts on our relationship with God through the priesthood of Christ, and if we eat of the manna every day. It can't happen any other way. I think there was one other point I wanted to, to uh, point out. Well, let's go on to chapter 5. There's so many principles here. All right, you with me so far? These are all principles. We're going to talk about Joshua and shouting and the wall coming down next week. But we've got to be a people who are seeking the purposes of God. We've got to be seeing with the eyes of faith. We have got to be following the Word made flesh, Jesus Himself. And we have to be remembering the things that God has done in our life. Yeah? Well, chapter 5 gets real interesting. Here's another principle that's extremely important for us. Where's Ben? And uh, everybody stand up that's going to plant the church. Can y'all stand up real quick? Church plant. Okay, you can sit down. Thank you. Very good. You did a great job. I see you back there. Don't worry, Julie. I saw you. I, I, I didn't miss you. Chapter 5, at that time, verse 2, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. 
And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise all the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness by the way. After they came out of Egypt, now all the people that came out were circumcised, but all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. So here, after they've come across the river, and now the river's behind them and the enemy's in front of them, God's got a great idea. How many of y'all know what circumcision is? Do you see why it was such a great idea to do this on this side of the river? Actually, a strategy that Israel used at one time is uh, they told uh, one city that if you all will circumcise yourselves, uh, then we will have fellowship with you. So they circumcised, and it says while they were still in pain, Israel came in and destroyed every one of them. I wonder how many of these guys were thinking about, here we are on the other side, and here we are circumcised, laid up. But here's the point. All of those children who left above, below 20 years of age, and then everybody who was born in the wilderness, they had not been circumcised personally. They were part of the tribes of Israel, but they did not carry in their own heart a personal relationship confirmed through circumcision. And so the, the, the extremely important point is we can never move ahead and try to add people to the team who don't have their own vibrant personal covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. We can never become a religion where people join. But folks have got to be circumcised in their heart. They have got to have their own personal relationship. Now, the place that that is most difficult, there's two places it's very difficult for us as a team. First, our children. We have very obedient children. We have great child training. However, it is very easy for a child to obey all the laws, except for grace. I see her laughing over there. Uh, yet in reality, not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so God made it very clear, before you go any further, we're going to stop. We're not going to build anything else. We're going to make sure that each person has their own relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. Because they'll turn and run when it gets tough, if they don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've got to love Jesus to run into the jaws of the lion. And oftentimes, like Daniel, he'll call you to do that. We can spend a lot of time here, but let's keep going. At the end of it, in verse 9, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from off you, wherefore the name of the place is called Gilgal unto this day. Everybody say Gilgal. This is the place when they finally arrived on the other side, everybody had come into their own personal relationship with Jesus. And God says, call this place Gilgal. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt. All these years, Egypt has said, they'll die in the wilderness. All of these years, Egypt has said, they can't make it. 
But I tell you this day, you are a people and I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt and the enemy is shaken in his boots. And the very next thing that happens as you go through the story, and the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. The very first thing they did after circumcision in the land, first they circumcised themselves and then they celebrate Passover. Over and over and over they're celebrating and understanding the deliverance of God in their life. And they specifically go back and they celebrate the fact that God delivered them first from bondage and slavery and then Egypt itself. And over and over and over in this book, you're going to see places where it keeps calling us back to our testimony that God has saved me. God has delivered me. I was caught in the bondages of sin, but God set me free. And then I like, it goes on, after all of this, and uh, everybody knows this story, and this is the last principle. So these are principles uh, that we incorporate into our life. Next week, we're going to actually talk about the Battle of, of Jericho. But let me go ahead and, and, and review all of this, and, and then we'll do the last one at the end of chapter 5. First of all, two rivers, or two bodies of water. Water represents an impossibility to get to the other side. First with salvation, second with inhabiting and, and receiving what God has for us. It takes the miracle of God. The first miracle, God does it. The second miracle, God gets you through and then empowers you to participate with Him in, in accomplishing the second aspect. You've got to send out spies. You can't just stay where you are. You can't just live life from day to day. You have got to be intent on finding that land, and you've got to send out spies. And you've got to believe that God wants to work in lives that seem impossible to redeem. And those people will come into the kingdom the same way you do. This was God's promise to Abraham. Second of all, well, third of all, fourth of all. Well, the next point... You get across the river by having a relationship with Jesus. You get across the river by, you know, I've been doing this for years, and people always come to my office or to my house. I don't really use an office. And they're always wanting advice. And I'm always asking people, well, how's your prayer life? Are you studying the Scripture? Let me tell you, preachers who give you advice before they teach you how to read your Bible and pray, keep you in the wilderness. The 20th century gave us counselors. People want a solution to their problem. But God wants you to get to know Him through the Word and prayer. As a matter of fact, I think I'll start a new policy. Don't come ask me for advice if you're not praying 
and consistently reading your Bible. Because I love you too much to give you an answer. Nah, I won't do that, but it sounded good, didn't it? It makes a point. <laughs> the only way you're going to be able to inherit the land, and there's no way around it. And there are people sitting here that I've talked to you, and when I ask you if you're praying and reading your Bible, you know what you say? Well, I could do better. Do better. You've got to. It's a principle. And if we're going to be a team, we can't be lugging a bunch of people who won't get to know God on their own. The next thing we talked about was with our children or with people who come to the church who are religious, but they haven't been circumcised in their heart, they haven't really been saved, we need to make sure that they have a relationship with God. Seems like there was one more. They celebrated the Passover. Once again, a celebration that we are here not because of what we did, because of what Christ did on the cross. And then we come to the last one and we'll be finished. Are those principles helpful? I know it's, it's almost like packing your bags before you go to camp. But here's the deal. We've been doing camp for about 20 years. And the first two days of camp, we are scrounging around looking for towels, soap, toothpaste, notebooks, and pens for the kids who didn't pack well. And so this is like just sending a list to you, but this is a very important list. And so this is probably one of the most important things on this list. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And by the way, most people who are study the Bible, they're smarter than I am, uh, they really believe that this is a specific place where Jesus manifests himself in the Old Testament. So once again, uh, we see Christ in the Old Testament. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Does this remind you of anything? Say it, Rachel. Moses in the burning bush. Moses is walking along, and all of a sudden there's this bush that's burning, and a voice speaks out of it. So when Joshua says, you know, what's up? He said to him, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So, in deliverance, in coming out of the land of bondage, God revealed himself to Moses and said, I am. I am in and of myself. And when the people you're going to lead out of bondage, ask you who sent you. You tell them, I am has sent you. And this is a very holy revelation. Take your shoes off. But isn't this interesting? Now we come into this different aspect of relationship with God. And he comes and he reveals himself as the captain of the host of the army of the Lord. And this is a most, most holy 
revelation. He's not for you. He's not for them. There is a purpose that's moving ahead in the earth. It's a purpose that stops rivers. It is a purpose that pulls walls down. It is a purpose that establishes nations, and it's the kingdom of God. And so our question isn't, God, are you for me? Our question is, God, what are you doing? Lord, teach me to follow Jesus. Teach me to keep my eyes on the covenant. Teach me to walk not by sight, but by faith, because you are accomplishing your purposes in the earth. And show me your will, nothing more, nothing less. When this happens in a person's life, and they get set free of continually begging God to go to war for their petty little desires, and they give themselves into the army of God and they follow Him into battle, I promise you, God takes better care of His soldiers than the United States Army. And they have $500 hammers. Hello. How many of you think you might be guilty of whining and crying and getting God to bless your little plans? How many of you know that God has a purpose and you've sent the spies out and you know the land that God has for you and you're willing to leave suburbia? You're willing to leave the comfort of the university community and to go out wherever God has called you and to bring the kingdom. Hello. I think God is stirring our nest. I think God is moving powerfully in all three churches right now. And God's doing something. And God is bringing an amazing group of people together. And I think we need to get serious in seeking God and sending the spies out. In three or four weeks, maybe a month and a half, we're going to fast and we're going to seek God. And I really believe that God is wanting us to really receive with a greater uh, understanding His purpose for our lives here in this city. And so I want you to begin to consider in your own heart, am I walking with a circumcised heart, with the flesh cut away? Have I decided that it's not about me or them, but it's about God and His purposes? And prepare your heart. I wish we could save Jericho for a few months from now, but we can't. We'll talk about it next week. But I believe there's some walls in this city that are coming down. And not just in our churches. A lot of my buddies are seeing God move in some unique ways. So pack your bags. Pack your bags. Don't leave anything behind. Get it all in you. Uh, because I believe God is going to call us to go to the other side and to take the land. And I hope the first thing we run into is a few Rahabs and see them come into the kingdom. Amen? Hallelujah. Good job, Stephen. Just kick him next time. Let's go ahead and stand. Father, uh, as we come before you tonight, we are so excited.
Uh, Father, thank you that the Red Sea is long gone. God, that you have led us through on dry ground, and our Moses has brought us to the brink of the Jordan River. And Lord, thank you that you have promised that the kingdom comes even now. And so, Father, we ask that you would come and you would search our hearts. Lord, uh, that uh, anything in us that's uncircumcised, Father, anything in us that doesn't understand the celebration of the Passover, Father, anything in us that, that would not be able to believe that you can give us an inheritance that's far different than what we would comprehend, God, I ask that you would slay that and you would bring to life the Word of God, the bread of God, through the priesthood of Christ. Father, we cry out to you tonight to honor yourself. Lord, honor yourself and make us a people who are given over fully to the battle of the Lord. Because you are the Lord, not only of heaven, but of all the earth. And Father, tonight, we just consecrate Lexington, Kentucky to you and the bluegrass. And God, we ask that you would come and you would have your way here through us for your name's sake and for your glory. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's worship the Lord. Can you imagine having crossed a river and knowing that you're in the same land that the last spies had said it was sure death? Can you imagine as they approached Passover, as they approached this time of circumcision, as they began to prepare to go to war, how much they would want to be prepared in God to face that next day? As, as we're talking through these principles, if there's any place in your life where you're not walking in this fullness of preparation to take the kingdom, I think tonight would be a good night for us to just, you can't change that tonight, really. You can't go study for three hours in the next five minutes. But you can meet with God about it. And so if you need to meet with God about any of that, make this altar kind of like that pile of stones. Make, make it a place where you come and you meet with God and you remember what God is calling you to tonight. So we're going to sing it a couple more times and come down and take a couple of minutes to just meet with God about it. And uh, if somebody comes down and you're their accountability partner, you come down and you pray with them and you help them walk in the thing that God is calling them to tonight, okay? All right.